0: This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome. You're listening to Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. Along with me today is David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. We're going to talk about your adolescence brain on drugs and talk about some of the reasons that we should be concerned not just with folks who develop the disease of addiction but new studies that are coming out that are showing really even minimal exposure to uh, alcohol and marijuana are going to be the two drugs we're going to focus on today. Even minimal exposure ha- can have long-lasting consequences. So thank you for being here, David.
1: Thank you. I'm I'm really glad to be here and, and for us to be talking about this topic. Um, I, I really feel like... Um, with marketing, with news, with movies, that that many people of my generation um, really minimize the impact of of alcohol and marijuana in particular and they view it as a rite of passage that everybody Mm -hmm. goes through and they're thinking about their own childhood Um, um, but they're kind of remembering 16, 17, 18 and what we're talking about is is exposure at age 11, 12, 13. Um, Not that either is, is Safe, but the earlier the earlier impact is is so much more destructive to to the person's whole life.
0: It's interesting as I speak to parents groups or PTA groups and talk with folks, they are very nonchalant about the idea of exposing their children to alcohol or marijuana, even at home at an early age. Like you say, they see it as a rite of passage, and it's not just that they expect, well, we don't know what our kids are doing out there, so don't ask, don't tell, wink, wink, Uh, Rather, they're actually actively using drugs and alcohol in front of their kids, which is one thing, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, but they're also sharing (laughs) those substances with their children and inviting their children's friends to come over and party at our house where you'll be safe, thinking that that's all they have to worry about is making sure that these kids aren't out Drinking, driving on the streets, not really recognizing the serious potential consequences, long-term consequences of the action of these substances, even in sm- uh, small or infrequent amounts, on the growing and developing adolescent brain.
1: Well, and the other part is is. Recognizing how the substances are really being used differently now and the substances are chemically different than they yes. used to be then. So the impact is, is so much greater. Um, um, but many people, many parents and, and adults just don't really recognize the differences that, that have occurred and, and how that impacts the influence on the brain.
0: So I thought before we got into the specific substances that we might spend a few moments just talking about the way the brain develops and the, the period of time that we know of as adolescence. Now, this is the kind of thing that often surprises our families and our patients when we do education uh, at family night each week at the Atlanta Healing Center. Because adolescence is defined now as ages 13 to 25. That we are really from a neurological developmental stage. We're really misunderstanding because people get to their full height at 18 or 19 years of age, that they are able to carry on a conversation and do some semi-responsible things at that age, that they are fully developed adults. And we know that from a neurological standpoint, that is absolutely not true. They don't have their prefrontal cortex developed at all until 25, 26, 27.
1: Yeah, I can hear parents just really wringing their hands over this whole <laughs> idea because, you know, you figure, okay, I had this kid, I have to keep them until they're 18, and then they are going to college and they're out of my hair. Um, and what you're talking about is they're still going to be uh, annoying kids. <laughs> For another five years, seven years. Right.
0: Making bad judgments, acting impulsively, not thinking things through, certainly not recognizing their own mortality and the potential risks that they take just in the way that they drive or the way that they interact with friends or the crazy stunts they pull on their skateboards or their... uh, bicycles or their surfboards these kinds of things are really not recognized we think a lot about helping the developing brain of a baby nowadays you walk into a baby store and i'm sure you probably haven't been into a baby store with all my grandkids i spend some time in baby stores now and there, here is music to um, strap around your be- belly while you're pregnant so that the baby can hear classical music to help the baby's brain develop. Let's tell the baby stories. Let's make sure that the mother is eating well and healthy. No sushi, no aspirin, no caffeine, no other drugs, no other substances. Eat organic. All of these things are very important and and we've learned a lot about how the effects of something we call epigenetics can affect the way the baby grows and develops over their lifetime. So genetics are the things that we're born with that tell us whether we're going to be a certain height or have blue eyes or blonde hair. But genetics um, also can carry some risk factors for certain diseases. They may not manifest themselves, though, until the epigenetics happen. So the epigenetics are things like the food and the water that you're exposed to, the kind of environment that you grow up in, whether people are kind and helpful and loving or whether people are cruel and neglectful. All of these things do impact the growing baby and the growing child.
1: Well, and and the whole idea of epigenetics is that they're also impacting the the gene itself and exactly. the expression of the gene. So, what the studies are really showing is is things that that um, in traumatic or high intensity events not only affect the person, but they will affect the way that person's genes are expressed into the next and two generations. Yes. Um, so so the the urgency of really stopping and looking at these things is is greatly increased
0: So as the child is growing and developing, the parents pay a lot of attention to the kind of food that they eat, making sure that the naps are taken and that the sleep schedule is uninterrupted. They uh, follow up to make sure that the homework is done and that the chores that are assigned are done. They help the child learn to ride a bike. They do all of these things, understanding that the child is growing and developing. They don't know how to do these things, and they need to be taught how to do these things, and that you have to protect the environment. But something happens around adolescence, and I think that we assume Well, maybe not everyone, but a lot of parents assume that when the child has gotten through those first 12 years or so of very rapid growth and development, that things like diet and sleep and exercise and supervision aren't really necessary or as necessary as they were before, thinking that the child is pretty much developed. We know now that this period of adolescence from 13 to 25, the brain may not be growing and making as many neural connections uh, as we see as a child learns to walk or ride a bicycle or balance or learn to read or do the alphabet. But the, the pruning, the sophisticated networks that are beginning to be laid down and that happen between ages 13 and 25 are of great importance and all of those things that we needed to provide and encourage in our infants and our young children are still very important in our adolescence up to age 25 <laughs> it's um it's really important and i don't think we stop to think about that very much and we see the changes in the behaviors
1: but and, and i think uh, the a term you just used um th- it was actually new to me at a training um a couple years ago pruning that's going on. Because you think about pruning with roses and you think about pruning with plants where the the rose sends out, and you know, if I cut this back and prune it back, then it's going to come back much more um, um, lush and, and right. fruitful. And it's that same concept that they're recognizing happens with our brains. Yes. Um, so the things that are are being used regularly, um, the brain apparently, as my understanding, puts a lot a lot more neuro connections and, mm-hmm. and um, um, pathways. So that you're doing more and more of that. The things you're feeding get a lot more energy, and the things that are not being used actually are being cut back or snipped away. You're not exactly. actually being removed from your brain. So not just like stored, but gone.
0: Right. They're gone. So if you think about when you learn to drive, when people are first learning to drive, every single sense of uh, sensory input is completely engaged as you're holding the steering wheel at three and nine i think is the rule now it used to be ten and two when i was um, a kid before we had airbags but checking your rear view mirror, making sure your seat belt is correctly fastened, checking to make sure that you can see out of all of your mirrors, that you're signaling, that you're braking. You can't really think or do much of anything else in those first times that you're learning to drive. It's an all consuming kind of activity. Now, if every day that we had to drive a car, driving to get here, had that level of intensity that we couldn't carry on a conversation, that we couldn't talk on the phone, that we couldn't multitask, if you will, think how limited our life would be if every single thing we did had to have that same level of intensity. That's what the pruning is all about. So as you do something over and over again, and it becomes a habit, it becomes automatic behavior, it saves a lot of energy in our brain to be able to create or develop or think about other things. And so that's what's happening during this ages 13 to 25. A lot of these new skills that are much more sophisticated and potentially dangerous that we're learning are being set down hardwired so that they're automatic behaviors and we don't have to think about them anymore. We don't have to remind ourselves. We can be alert if somebody pulls out in front of us, but we don't have to sit there and hold and, and be so fully attentive to drive our cars relatively safely from here to there. So that's the kind of thing we're talking about with the pruning. All the extra stuff doesn't have to be engaged.
1: Yeah. And and the other piece that I think is so crucial in that time period is in this pruning, is adolescents are learning how to interact with other people. They're learning how to express their opinions and their views. Mm-hmm. They're learning social etiquette. Um, they're learning what's okay in terms of flirting and not flirting, and and when to be appropriate and when to not. And so their values, their value system is is getting mm-hmm. imprinted or. or Pruned out during the same time period, and it's a time period that that today's topic, alcohol and marijuana, has a huge influence over.
0: So, this idea that adolescent brains are actually growing and developing is an important one to think about, and how we take care of our adolescent brain is really the focus of today's show. So, please stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com.
3: This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol.
0: Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and with me today is David Donaldson, who is the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center. Today we're talking about the adolescent brain on drugs, with a focus today on two drugs that are very commonly experienced by kids, even at very early ages, and those are alcohol and marijuana. Before we get into those, though, I just want to remind everyone that during this period of adolescence, before our good sense, our reason, and judgment develop, our ability to experience pleasure starts to happen around age 12 or 13. Our, our dopamine centers, the nucleus accumbens and the ventral tegmental area, are very important because they reward us and motivate us to keep doing things that help us stay alive and continue the species. So those centers become highly developed during this period of time. So reason and judgment are not engaged yet. That doesn't happen till 25, 26, 27. But the ability to really experience that release of the pleasure chemical dopamine happens around 12 or 13. So they, the adolescent really does have a um, hedonistic kind of, World view. They are all about what makes them feel good and the easier things to do that make them feel good, the more likely they are to repeat them. So if they're getting all of their kicks and their excitement from video games that they can turn on at any time of the day or night and that they can play immediately – Um, They are probably going to play video games over learning a skill like playing the violin or mastering long-distance swimming or track and field events. The um, easier it is to release dopamine... The more likely someone is to engage in that behavior. That's what dopamine's all about. If we're hungry and we eat, we get dopamine that rewards us, reminds us we need to keep eating. It's a very simple process. So regular activities that we all do release dopamine and we get that reward and that motivation to keep trying and to keep being successful at a variety of things. When you enter drugs and alcohol, the amount of dopamine released by these substances are greater than anything in real life, except maybe sexual intercourse. They're greater than anything the adolescent has ever experienced. And because their brain is now hypersensitive and hyper-responsive to things that release dopamine... If they are exposed to these substances that overwhelm the brain with dopamine, and in in amounts that are much greater than you get from getting an A on your report card or winning the um, the race, then they're going to do those things. And the, and there's nothing in real life, like I said a minute ago, that can compete. So you've got this very difficult, easy. It's difficult in that it creates long-term problems, but it's an easy way to get dopamine released very immediately by the use of drugs and alcohol. And drugs like marijuana and drugs like alcohol, as I just said... Are really strong releasers of
1: this well, and, and we easily could have have sexual behaviors right here in this right. topic because actually all three of those things are getting becoming a, a regular part of the, the teenagers' lives. That, that we work, we start the people that we work with Atlanta Healing Center are eighteen and above, um, but to a T, everyone we're talking to their their use began at 12 13 14 and sexual behaviors and alcohol and drugs were all a part of it and part of what what you're talking about in terms of the the drive center is turned on and highly activated and they're discovering they have the power to make this happen but parents are always complaining about my kid doesn't have any gratitude my kid doesn't recognize any consequences he doesn't think anything through and and that part of that's because that part of their brain isn't actually fully right. myelinated yet. It might be working, but it's not. It's not working um, with all of its gears just yet,
0: and it's not taking control most of the time. Uh, it is. Engaged at times, and it's not to say that kids are totally without values or motivation. I don't mean to say that, but that part of our brain that allows us to really determine long-term goals is only partially engaged, and it's not fully developed until later. So the easy releases of dopamine, and the easier we make it for the kids to have access to easy dopamine, the more likely those pathways are going to get pruned and they're going to get laid down in concrete and steel and hard wiring. And so uh, the common thing that I hear people say over and over go- again, David, and I know you do, you hear it too, is I'm bored.
1: Regularly. Regularly. For the most part, anybody that we're working with, once they get through the the throes of withdrawal and they're in that um, next period, one of the first things that we hear come out of their mouth is the word bored. I'm doing better, but I'm dealing with bored. I'm struggling because everything is just so boring right now.
0: And part of that boredom is what happens when you have been... Experiencing these excessively high levels of dopamine, and then you've continued to use drugs so that your dopamine stores become depleted, and that's when addiction really is much more the, the case we're working with because somebody isn't still. Getting high most of the time when they come in for treatment, they're they're continuing to use now because of negative reinforcement. They're trying to keep from being sick, but the um, the problem when you've had this massive release of dopamine when you've been binge using and most adolescents, at least up until the age of 18 or so, are binge users because that's their opportunity. They use the drugs or the alcohol that's available and they use as much as they can and then they don't have driver's licenses or cars or they don't have jobs, they don't have access to money um, as readily as they do when they're over the age of 18. And so they are binge kinds of users. After that, when they've used, they've released the dopamine, they've had the pleasure, they've had the high, now they have this level of low dopamine where their motivation is decreased and their mood is decreased. They're more depressed. They're less um, happy. They're bored. And that boredom that we hear about all the time in my mind, I always think, uh, they've got low dopamine. That's really what's going on. Nothing seems worth the effort that it's going to take to engage in it. So that's exactly what they do, and they have this feeling of blah, depressed,
1: boredom. I've been um, recently really thinking about that in terms of uh, marijuana withdrawal symptom mm-hmm. because – you know, the popular press says marijuana doesn't cause withdrawals. It's not addictive, and it doesn't cause withdrawals. But in reality, what we see mm-hmm. is in- increased anxiety issues, increased difficulty with focusing. And the one that really gets gets brought up in, in most things that you read about marijuana dependency is a, a lack of tolerance for uncomfortable feelings, in particular the feeling of boredom. So they they're... Marijuana is leaving them unable to tolerate that feeling mm-hmm. of being bored.
0: And unable to find the motivation or the imagination to come up with something that would relieve the boredom.
1: Yeah. And and what we see with marijuana in particular, because it takes you to that high, beautiful, wonderful place, and then the withdrawal is life isn't as pretty. Life is gray and dull. Um, and that feeling lasts. Um, because the half-life of marijuana is, what, seven to ten days. And so it's taking a long time to leave their system. And their system is just starving for some way to get up again.
0: Mm-hmm. And so they're looking for it. And we know now, unfortunately, that there are um, a, a marked decrease in the, in the brain's ability to experience experience pleasure and reward uh, July 6 um, 2016 the University of Michigan published a story in the journal or a, um, an article in the Journal of the American Medical Association about the long-term use of marijuana uh, has the brain rewired for these, Adolescents and young adults, in such a way that they no longer have the ability to experience reward and pleasure, and that this is something that is a long-term effect, and it's not something that's just going to be um, for the for the few minutes. After they stop using, it's a much more long-term problem.
1: And that study really highlighted um, what what we would talk about as marijuana as a gateway drug, because what it really was showing is that long, that that marijuana dampens their ability to experience um, emotions and feelings, and leaves them set up for seeking those feelings in other ways or with other more intensive drugs. Um, it really it, it focused on um, um, if I. I could find the quote exactly, that that the marijuana leaves the brain prone to seeking and trying um, higher risk drugs.
0: Right, because the tolerance, we often think of tolerance as having to use more and more of a substance to get the same re- response, but another way in which we see tolerance, uh, and we see this, for example, in pornography, and often adolescents become very involved with pornography, what was Exciting and tantalizing when you first saw some of this material. Now, no longer it's it's boring. Now I need something that's more intense or more bizarre or more um, frequent. And so the tolerance can sometimes be. Uh, Pot doesn't do it for me anymore. Now I'm going to have to look for a stronger drug or a more intensive experience. And now I don't just use it on the weekends with my friends. I use it all day long. That um, kind of tolerance is one of the things, one of the dangers that we see. And the earlier someone is exposed to marijuana, the less likely their nucleus accumbens is going to be fully developed. And that's what this study showed is with the MRI studies that the nucleus accumbens is actually structurally changed in chronic marijuana users. We'll be right back. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org.
2: Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on americaswebradio.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs
1: are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like.
3: Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com The best in chat radio designed just for you.
0: Welcome back. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. This is Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. I'm speaking today with David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center, and we're talking about your adolescent's brain on drugs. Right before the break, we were talking about this study that was done at the University of Michigan um, looking at regular marijuana users that started using in, um, in early adolescence and continued uh, into later adolescence. What they found was that uh, we certainly all get engaged in behaviors and activities that for us release dopamine and that's going to be different for different people. Some people are going to like to go hunting or fishing and other people are going to like to read or sew or play music. So it's not always the same thing for everyone but one of the things that we often see and hear from both patients and their families is that during this time of early experimentation, not only did the individual's behavior change in terms of they got more withdrawn, more isolated, changed their friends, but they dropped out of playing sports. They dropped out of their music lessons. They didn't seem to express the same kind of interest in Activities that they had really liked and enjoyed. And part of that is this effect on the pleasure center of the brain and the massive amount of dopamine that gets released that's more than playing their musical instruments or...
1: And so much faster.
0: And so much faster and reliable.
1: Reliable, yeah. This has been so interesting in seeing how science is really beginning to... Um, Um, put evidence on what Mm -hmm. we've been seeing on a a more social side for a long time Um, because we've seen for a long time that for certain individuals when they start using marijuana that becomes their primary drive and they have they lose interest in studying and trying to you know achieve academically and they lose interest in athletics and 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 really being able to stop and see that you know, the, the rewards, the dopamine rewards that you get from athletics is you try hard, you try hard, you try hard, and then you get the championship right. and everybody screams your Yay. name. And that's a lot of work to get a little mm-hmm. bit of dopamine, whereas um, you can go smoke a joint and, and use a little bit of marijuana. And especially with the intensity of it today, you get all of those rewards and you never have to leave the basement.
0: Right, And so Dr. Hersick, um, who um, authored this study, says, and I'll, I'm quoting her, some people believe that marijuana is not addictive or that it's better than other drugs that can cause dependence. She said, but this study provides evidence that it's affecting the brain in a way that makes it more difficult to actually stop using it. It changes your brain in a way that may change your behavior and where you get your sense of reward from. So, whether you have the disease of addiction or not, you may find that the easy reward of drugs, in this case marijuana, uh, is is more rewarding than anything else you can do, more reliable than anything else you can do, and therefore uh, you have no motivation and even lose the ability to feel like you can stop.
3: Yeah.
1: The idea of whether you have the disease of addiction or not, marijuana has the potential to do that is is really, really pretty powerful.
0: And this idea that I think gets commonly bantered about, even by medical professionals, which is a a mystery to me, that um, people think that marijuana is safe and that it doesn't really cause any problems. But we know from several studies, and I think you have one there that's um, looking at, again, brain changes among casual marijuana users um, who are adolescents, young adults. And
1: and that one in particular was, was... looking at are we going to see some of the same things that we were seeing in people who are heavy users um, and people who are just reporting casual use Um, the study was looking at do people who report low to moderate use of marijuana have um, effects on the structure of their brain particularly with teens and young adults Um, and the study suggested that even light moderate light recreational use can in fact change the anatomy of the brain Um, the, it changes the density of the nucleus accumbens, it changes the activity of the amygdala, um, and, and again, the, what we have been seeing for a long time in working with people. Um, is the they're responding thing wrong? Uh, the amygdala is the uh, you know the alarm system. It's supposed to say this is a dangerous situation. Um, and many of the people we work with are going into just incredibly dangerous places, and their amygdala is n- not giving any indication that anything's wrong at all. Everything is just nice and calm. But then they're having to walk over and just introduce themselves to to um, a, a person that a. Uh, party where everything's nice and safe and calm and protected, and that's causing them to have an anxiety attack. Mm -hmm. Their amygdala is absolutely just acting backwards, and and this is kind of pointing to why Mm -hmm. we're seeing that.
0: It's really interesting when we look at uh, the QEEG, the brain map that we do on all of our patients at the Atlanta Healing Center. So this uses the electrical activity of the brain and compares it against age match norms, men or women of your same age. And it looks at deeper structures of the brain like the um, amygdala and the hippocampus. And as you said, the amygdala is the burglar alarm system. And we see really clearly in so many of our patients, they're anxious and worried and obsessive about little things that probably don't matter, and yet things that should scare them to death, literally, don't bother them at all. The amygdala has been structurally, and uh, according to this study, the structure has been changed, but what we see in the brain map, the QEEG, brain map is that the behavior of the brain, the way the brain operates, its activity has been changed as well. It's not just that, oh, this person was born with a bigger nucleus accumbens, or this person had a more dense amygdala than than the person before it. No, it's not just a structural change. It's it's an activity change. It's a behavioral change. It's a physical experience change, and that is um, really scary to find out that it's not just people with the disease of addiction but in this case it's people who were casual users of marijuana who were also experiencing similar kinds of changes in their brain.
1: Um one of the goals that is, is often given to patients when they enter into a recovery program is to begin attending 12-step meetings. Right. The recommendation is to, to uh, at meetings, the recommendation is to do 90 meetings in 90 days. In treatment, real often, it's to start out with going to three meetings a week. Um, and And... We work on them just being able to get to the meeting, and then we work on them being able to stay at the meeting. (laughs) Um, We'll even say just do a drive-by. Drive by and just see where the meeting's at and locate it and know where you're going to park so you can go in there. Because they are having a full-fledged anxiety reaction about going to this meeting where all these people are going to be people who are in recovery from the disease of addiction. So people who've been where they're at and know what they're going through, it's still creating mm-hmm. a full-fledged anxiety attack. And for a long time, we would just think, well, maybe they also have a social anxiety disorder and we need to give them something to help with with, with that, rather than this is um, a part of long-term marijuana use. Right.
0: And whether someone comes in for Treatment of marijuana use disorder or heroin or alcohol, if they're under the age of 30, most all of them use marijuana. And in fact, they don't even think, when we ask them about, well, what other drugs have you been using, they don't even think about mentioning <laughs> marijuana. But it, it has been part of the mix and it is often something that was one of their very first drugs. So, the background for all of this and the other drugs that they are now have advanced to or are using, the the background noise is marijuana and the effect of it, and some of it is this extreme anxiety.
1: And definitely impacting what the recovery goals are going to be for that person, because their ability to manage social mm-hmm. situations was changed when they were 14 years old.
0: Right. And it's very difficult to overcome that kind of hard wiring and the pruning and the uh, the growth and development of their uh, soon-to-be adult brain has been influenced. It's been under the influence of marijuana all along, and it has changed the neuroplasticity plasticity. It has changed the DNA. It has changed the structures in the brain. Now, I'm not recommending that anybody of any age use this drug, but Certainly, uh, there's much risk, less risk of making these kinds of permanent changes if you are over the age of 25 when you start using drugs or alcohol than if you are 10, 11, or 12. Even small amounts, brief amounts, you know, brief periods of time binge use is still dangerous for these young developing brains, and that's the take-home message. I hope everybody hears.
1: One of the studies I recently read, coming out of um, um, Amsterdam or one of the one of the Scandinavian countries where marijuana has been a part of the culture for a longer period of time, was was saying that if you use marijuana anything more than I want to say more than once every. Three months or something—it was a long span that it was going to have effects on how you viewed the world, how mm-hmm. you, how you were able to. It would, it would dampen your view of the world if you used it any more frequently than that. So, at a place where they're not saying it's illegal, or they're saying not to use, they're saying don't use this um, any more than quarterly. <laughs>
0: because you're going to have significant issues related to it. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to look at the combination effect of alcohol and marijuana, which we see very often in our young people.
3: Please stay tuned. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves?
1: If you do, join us on The Doctor's Lounge and hear The Doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on
2: AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like.
3: Are your health insurance premiums going
0: up? You are not alone. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org to understand why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. This is Grace Marie Turner, President of the Galen Institute. Visit us at
2: ObamacareWatch.org. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. Information is the key, and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com.
1: This is America's Webradio.com,
3: the best in chat radio designed just for you.
0: Welcome back. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and this is Detailing Addiction. We're talking today about the adolescent brain on drugs, specifically alcohol and marijuana. One of the things that um, has come to light as more and more states, in fact, 23 states in the District of Columbia have legalized, quote, and I'm using big bunny ear quotes here, medical marijuana, and four states, uh, including... Uh, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, and Alaska have actually decriminalized recreational use of marijuana. The NTSB, or the uh, Department of Transportation, is looking at the increased um, incidence of traffic accidents. The um, data on this shows that about 1%. 0.7% Zero point seven percent increase risk of ac- of having a motor vehicle accident um, is for cannabis use. Seven point four percent increase if you're using alcohol, and an eight point four percent increase um, if you're using cannabis and alcohol combined. So the um, American Association for Clinical Chemistry did a study looking at why might this be that it looks like there's a higher percentage of people who are having automobile accidents that have both alcohol and marijuana in their system. And when they looked at this, they found um, some really interesting effect that using those two drugs combined had on the blood alcohol levels of marijuana and alcohol alcohol.
1: Yeah, that it was increasing it um, um, more than either of them individually. They were noticing that that there was um, that the combination of alcohol and marijuana was the the most frequent um, Mm -hmm. combination of drugs they were seeing and and prompted that study. The the thing I'm thinking about is that this is the one benefit of it being legalized in a few places around the country that (laughs) we can finally get some of these studies um, um, because you couldn't get an honest answer about the question of marijuana until now because people would have to lie, so or make not, something up. <laughs> not that um, you know, I'm necessarily supporting legalizing marijuana across no. the world, but certainly it has benefited that we can finally get some studies about the subject.
0: So combining alcohol with marijuana uh, makes each more potent, but. We have to worry about the effects of alcohol itself on adolescents. This is probably, while marijuana is the most prevalently used illicit substance, alcohol is certainly one of the most prevalently used legal substances in addition to tobacco. So young people often are able to access alcohol at home and have pretty clear access, if not outright permission from their parents to use alcohol in their home. So what do we find with some of these um, studies looking at the effects of alcohol on an adolescent brain?
1: Um, Well, it's interesting because part of what we're seeing is that the the adolescent brain is having a harder time dealing with chronic stress Mm -hmm. when it's been exposed to alcohol at a young age, Um, that it's having a harder time managing the the stresses of life, that things become overwhelming much more quickly when when the brain has been... um, exposed to alcohol and and traditionally what we've talked about in treatment centers was you know you began drinking at 14 and so at 14 is also the time you began going to school dances and having to learn how to socialize and you were doing all of that with alcohol in your system Mm -hmm. now in recovery you're having to to learn to to do it without alcohol in your system and so of course it's going to be stress you're having to learn to do this all over again what the studies are showing is it's not just that you know I was drinking when I learned how to do something, but that the alcohol is actually changing the way the brain manages stress.
0: So normally, when someone's in a stressful situation, the body releases cortisol, our stress hormone, and we certainly test cortisol in all of our patients to see how they are doing in terms of managing stress. But this very interesting study that was done at the State University of New York was looking at the effects of alcohol exposure during adolescence on chronic stress in adults. And what they found in this study is that um, n- the body's ability to adapt to a stressful situation uh, is impaired when someone's been using alcohol. As you said, we used to think it was a learning curve and that you just missed that lesson, so now we got to teach it to you. But what happens if in someone who hasn't been exposed to alcohol um, at an early age is that as we Accommodate to a stressful situation The first time we face something That's really scary Or nerve-wracking for us Say it's giving a presentation at school And we're very anxious And our cortisol levels are really high With practice though And the more times we have to deal With that situation Our cortisol levels don't rise so high Our body learns to adapt And we learn to cope And that elevated cortisol doesn't happen However, if you have been using alcohol, that learning, it's this is a different take on the learning, but that adaptation that your body would do in terms of, okay, I've done this before, I can do it again, it's not so scary, I did fine, I'll do fine this time. Cortisol doesn't respond like that. It doesn't lessen. It actually remains very high. And chronic elevated cortisol leads to all kinds of very serious life-threatening conditions such as hypertension, elevated cholesterol, diabetes, hormonal imbalances, problems with thyroid. All kinds of really bad things happen, including significantly impaired memory when you have chronic elevated cortisol. And people who have been exposed to alcohol as adolescents are not going to be able to manage cortisol nearly as well as those who haven't had that experience.
1: So was this study looking at at people who just had exposed been exposed a little bit or is this looking at people who actually began drinking on a regular basis um. at that young age
0: this is um, this is looking at exposure this isn 't looking at people who have had significant problems with addiction they 're talking about um, adolescent alcohol exposure is not innocuous, so this isn 't the kid that 's drunk every day all day long. these are the kids that are binge drinking you know on the weekends or having some exposure. Um, in their in their adolescence these are not people necessarily with addiction this is early exposure to alcohol so it's not safe to be and
1: so it's not even the ones that would have been scooped up and taken to an adolescent treatment program right. because they were drinking too much or making um, dis- disastrous um, issues in their lives. This is just it was influencing their brain at an early age, and now it's influencing how they manage stress as an adult.
0: And part of what we're seeing both with the marijuana and with the alcohol is the fact that... Um, This early exposure to alcohol primes the brain, primes the pump, so to speak, to make that person have a lot more difficulty not using alcohol to manage their stressful um, situations as adults. So they find it harder and harder to not rely on alcohol, and they increase their risk that they're going to have alcohol dependence, alcohol addiction. Alcohol
1: use disorder.
0: Thank you. They keep changing the names on me. Alcohol use disorder as adults. This um, interesting study done at Michigan State University again looking at early access to alcohol and drugs in the home are more likely um, to result in teens who do drugs and alcohol in their early 20s. So the earlier the exposure, the more the brain is primed, the structural and behavioral changes that happen in the brain, whether it's pot or marijuana, are now going to make that person much more vulnerable to using alcohol. And it's more than just modeling behavior on the part of adults. That it's not just, oh, I saw my parents drinking, so it's okay. It's the actual exposure to the alcohol that is creating this increased use of alcohol, increased risk of addiction and increased risk of using other drugs and behaviors in an addictive way.
1: Um, part of, part of why I really enjoyed that. We went and I enjoyed, but I'm glad we did this topic Mm -hmm. is that, that I think adolescents in particular are really vulnerable to, um, getting labeled uh, bipolar disorder, anxiety disorder, because if you take a if you have troubles with your kid in your school, and the school says you need to take them to have them evaluated, you're going to go to a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist is going to look at these same behaviors, and these behaviors are going to the kid's mm-hmm. going to walk out um, on. An uh, antidepressant medication, or on a medication for um, um, ADD, which is going to stimulate things and make things into a nightmare, um, and and. The reality that adolescent psychiatrists are not dealing with um, addiction-trained um, addictionologists and in, in that world is still kept so separate, I think, really sets a lot of these people up for m- significant problems in their adult life.
0: And diagnoses that may not only be incorrect but may be harmful.
1: And follow them for life.
0: Exactly. So we hope that you have learned a little bit about the risks of exposure in uh, the, to the adolescent brain with drugs and alcohol. And we invite you to join us next week on Detailing Addiction. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.